Welcome back to more of season four of the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, and this is the podcast for dreamers with and without day jobs. This week's show is called Working with Principle, featuring producer and writer William Keck. Welcome to the show, Will. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Brianna. How's New York today? Uh, It's lovely, but it's going to be even better tomorrow because I think it's going into the 60s, which I'm sure doesn't excite someone who lives in L.A. We're having a good spell here, I got to say. You know, it's that nice period in between frigid winter and then the the onslaught of summer. So it's a really good time to be in L.A., I got to say. So as I mentioned at the start of the show, this episode is called Working with Principal. And Will and I (laughs) met while working... Well, I was working for Victoria Principal's Beauty Line. What was it called? Principal Secret? Principal Secret. Back in 2006. And Will was a reporter at USA Today. And so I invited him on the show because, one, he's had an amazing career journey. And I want to talk about that because I believe he's someone who actually is doing his dream job or has been doing his dream job. Right, Will? Uh, dreams and nightmares. Yes. Depending well, upon the assignment. Right. Well, in the nightmares, is the, that's the stuff that your audience loves to hear about, right? Because these the stories are- that I like telling, it's the theme of my, my book that I've just finished. So I love telling these stories. They're a lot of fun. Well, before we start, I just I usually pull a quote for the, sh- for the show that's inspirational, but I pulled a quote from Victoria that I thought you would appreciate. Oh, how lovely. Okay. What's the quote? I try to treat people the way I would like to be treated, but I can't worry about what everyone's going to think. <laughs> what What is your response to that quote, Will? You know, um, I think that um, as, as we both know, um, back in the 80s, Victoria had achieved a great amount of fame. Um, and as she, I believe, said to you, Brianna, she's was the most famous woman in the world in 85. Is that right? 82. Because when I was working with her, it was, it was 2007. Cause I remember saying to my coworker, are we going to have the 25th anniversary of when she was the most famous woman in the world? Is that our pitch angle? So yeah. 82, you know, was also the year that, um, well, it was the year after Charles and Diana wed in 81 and Luke and Laura wed to 30 million people. So, I mean, she had some competition there. Um, but you know what? Olivia Newton-John was the queen in 1982. Are you kidding me? I For sure. Some. Yeah. So, you know, but let's let her have that. Yes. Sure. No. I know it means a lot to her. But I, it, she, it's a good way to start the show because I think your career, I mean, I've read from uh, what you sent me from your book, you were kind of obsessed with Dallas when you were young, a young man, right? That is correct. Yeah, I was. Um, in fact, you know, up until recently, I had a, a Dallas room in my house. So it <laughs> it lingered much longer than it should have. But, but there was something about Victoria and her character, Pam, that really was so endearing. And I know for some reason, you know, a lot of gay guys um, who were watching TV at that time were really drawn to her. There's there's a few women like Farrah Fawcett and Lindsay Wagner 
and Linda Carter, who just, I maybe it's the glamour and the, the kind of the fantasy lifestyle, but um, I really wanted to, to know her. And that was sort of one of my missions uh, when I decided to come out to Los Angeles. So did you also like to write or was that just your way in? And what came first, your wanting to be a writer or your obsession with celebrities? Well, you know, I knew I wanted to be part of entertainment in some way. Um, so when I got out here in the early 90s, I didn't have any contacts. The way I got in was to become a security guard. And so I had asked if I could uh, work certain entertainment events and they assigned me to the Emmys. And this is how I started to to meet celebrities. And then from there, I became a page for NBC and CBS. And then that eventually led me to the National Enquirer. Um, But somewhere in there, I decided to get a little work done, as we do here in Los Angeles. And that is actually what first led me to Victoria through her husband, ex-husband, plastic surgeon, Dr. Harry Glassman. So let me ask you, I know when I was reading the chapter, you mentioned it, you know, your other kids, your age were out and you were home watching Dallas. (laughs) Did you, as a gay young man in Albany, did you feel uh, kind of like you didn't have a place? And so you stayed home and this was kind of your way of escaping from the reality because I bring it up because I grew up on a lot of TV, a lot of TV, and my parents were divorced and I had a very disruptive childhood. And my escape was the Cunninghams, Laverne and Shirley. And I think that is where my desire to be a part of the entertainment world, to live in New York City came from. So I just, I was curious to know if you feel like that kind of sparked you know, for, for sure. I mean, were you were you an only child? How many kids were in your family? Brandon? Oh, no, I was middle girl. I had four brothers. I have four brothers. So Wow. OK. All right. So, yeah, I was an only child. So and my father passed when I was five. So it was really just my mom and myself. It was a very small little family. And I would play with other kids in the neighborhood. And then when the sun went down, they would all run off in groups to have their dinners. And yeah, I went home to, to, to mom. So I think really to kind of fill the quietness in the house, I sort of adopted the Ewings of Dallas and the Carringtons of Dynasty and the Bradys and the Partridges as sort of my surrogate family, for sure. Was your mom at all like the personalities on these shows? Was she glamorous? Was, was, or were they like the complete opposite of the woman yeah. in your life? Gosh, I love that question. And my mom would love that question. My mom started out as a model and she also was a buyer for uh, department stores in New York. And then you know, when she had me, she uh, she kind of just stopped doing all that. I guess I was such a handful. She needed to just be a full-time hands-on mom. But, uh, you know, she, she shared my love of Hollywood for sure. And so we, we watched a lot of these shows uh, together. It was really a thrill years later. I'm jumping ahead when I got to come out to California and bring her in on some of these things. She got to meet a lot of the celebrities. And we went to um, Florida and got to interact with Oprah. And we all went to Washington, D.C. together with Terry Hatcher. So it was great to be able to give back that gift to, to her. And she, she, you know, she got a big thrill out of it. But being with Terry Hatcher, was that really a gift from <laughs> what I've heard? <laughs> you know, there's... There, there are three really long chapters in my book, Horribly Wrong. One is Victoria, 
And one is Joan Collins, uh, and the other one is is Terry Hatcher. So they were, uh, you know, handfuls. You know, I, uh, I I found them all very entertaining, and Terry and I really had a really good relationship for a long time. Um, I couldn't quite understand why others, you know, had the problems that they did. But um, by the end of Housewives run, I, I had a clearer comprehension of that. So Housewives, the rumor was she and Nicolette were the nightmares, right? They were the difficult ones on the set. Nicolette is the the fourth longest chapter in, in my book. So make, make of that what you will. That's such a shame to me because as a fan of Knott's Landing, she oh. in her day, man, beautiful, breathtaking, big fan of hers. You know, she, oh, Paige Matheson. Great. I loved her on Knott's yeah, Landing. She did that. She dated Leif Garrett. She dated Leif, my first like crush at age six. She was dating Leif Garrett back in the day. Wow, Leif Garrett. You know, um, you know, we all end up the way we we do um, for different reasons. You know, I know that Nicolette um, was always raised in wealth. She didn't have to scrape to get to where she was. Um, you know, she um, her her mother was at one point tied to, to royalty, and and she married um, Telly Savalas, so she was the stepdaughter of Telly Savalas, and so I think she was always kind of part of this world, and so I think there maybe was some entitlement that came along with her great success. Yeah, well, I think she and Leif Garrett were living together when they were sixteen or something very strange. So. <laughs> Parenting obviously wasn't her mom's number one focus. Were you jealous? Did you want Leaf Garrett for yourself? Um, I mean, I was six, so <laughs> not so much. I didn't fully understand. I had his iron-on T-shirt. That was that was fine. Some posters, oh. you know. But okay, so the show is also working with principal, and I think an interesting uh, aspect of your career is that you worked for the Enquirer because. Not known always for the most honest journalism, but but also often broke stories ahead of everybody else. So true. For sure. Yeah. So how long did you work for the Inquirer? And what's like the worst thing you ever did for that rag? So I, I, um, I was on staff, um, with them for three years and, uh, it was really like working for the mafia. Because they would, um, you know, it was they would root for you to do the most heinous things, and when you did, you got a pat on the back and a raise. And I was there during the time of the OJ uh, murders. Mm. So a couple days after the murders, I was sent down to try to interview Nicole Brown Simpson's family at their gated community down in Monarch Bay, and I tried flower delivery, grocery delivery, and the guards were really uh, on high alert. So I, I told my editor, I said, I, I, this isn't going to work. And he said, Keck, you can do it. We believe in you. You can do it. You can find a way. And, you know, you hear that and it's like your coach and you want to make your coach, your dad happy. So I ultimately, in a suit and tie, went to the neighboring Rich Carlton Hotel. I jumped the fence. And so I was on the beach and I just walked on the beach to the gated community and I jumped the fence again. And before I knew it, I was standing in front of the the home of Nicole Brown Simpson's family. So I, I stood there and I called my editor. I said, well, I'm in. He says, well, we'll go up to the door. And I didn't really know. I never thought I would get this far. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, this is within a week of, of Nicole's passing. So I ring the doorbell 
And uh, the, the maid comes to the door and says, hello, may I help you? And I said, I'm, I'm here to see Juditha Brown, which was Nicole's mother. And she said, please come right this way. Again, okay. I never thought I would get this far. So I was led into a little TV room and there was Nicole's mother, Juditha, and her three sisters sitting around a photograph of Nicole. And the mother stands up, takes my hand and says, thank you so much for coming. How did you know my little girl? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. What did oh you do? God. Well, you know, I told the truth. I said, I said, I know this is an incredible invasion of privacy, but uh, I am with the Inquirer. And she, they all kind of got up. I, I think I was very lucky that the father wasn't there at the time, or I, I probably would have gone to the hospital. But uh, they all sort of walked me to the foyer, but they were very polite. And they asked me what I wanted. And I, I again, I never thought that I would get this far. So I said, well, I guess I'd like to know how you talk to the grandchildren about this. And they gave me a lovely story about how they told uh, the children that mommy was in heaven. Mommy was an angel. They did not want to mention the father's name at all. Um, but what happened with this is that they liked the story and the inquirer ended up becoming their partner for many, many years. Um, they were very unhappy with the way the, uh, uh, the trial was going, and obviously they were very disappointed by the outcome. So the inquirer was their way to get the message out there um, as to what had happened to their daughter. So in the end, it turned out to be a real, a positive working relationship for for both parties. Well, and I don't. The inquirer had it out for OJ. Like they did not like him, right? As if I remember. I mean, they certainly didn't hesitate to go after him. <laughs> I mean. Uh, you know, they reported about, you know, infidelities and, and things like that. But, um, you know, OJ at the time, uh, he was sort of a, a forgotten celebrity. I mean, his football years were way behind him. And he had he, to spend a naked gun. I mean, yeah. one of the Naked Gun 2, I think. It naked Gun 2. Yeah, he had done a few TV shows. He, in fact, had, had uh, shot a pilot at the time of the murders. So he Using was sort a of knife. Yes. yes, I remember that. You I, were inquirer reader, I think. I, I was, yeah, I was consuming <laughs> it all. So they sure loved him um, that year because the sales of the inquirer skyrocketed. And I think that year out of 52 covers, probably about over 40 were OJ covers. And not only were sales through the roof, but because we broke so many stories that turned out to be true, Mom about the shoes and about the knife. The other media took note, and instead of us being the joke, uh, the tabloid that reported on aliens and Elvis, we became a respected newsmaker. And other outlets were really kind of following our lead. What made you leave? Did you get another opportunity where you your soul was just like yes, do it my soul was like yeah, yeah. I uh, I I I really hated it. Um, when I look back, it was thrilling and and. I'd say a good, you know, 50% of the stories in my book are um, are from this time because it was like being a spy, but your heart was always pounding. And I kind of saw people there who had been there for 30 years. They were lifers. And I knew that if I didn't get out of there, I would be the same in the same situation. So after three years, 
I, I went to them and I made them an offer. I said, listen, I said, um, I don't want to do these reprehensible stories anymore. I would like to really just do on the record interviews with these celebrities that I'm fostering relationships with. And they thought about it and they said, you know what? Okay, we like you. You're a good reporter. You know, the kind of stories you do aren't going to sell papers. They're not going to be the cover stories, but we'd like to keep you at half your salary. So I appreciated that. I understood, but I, I politely declined and then moved on and had to start over because I was then tabloid trash. Well, I was going to say, yeah, what are you? So did you go to USA Today after that? Oh, God, no. I, no one wanted to touch an Inquirer reporter. So I needed something else in my resume. And uh, where I ended up going was Soap Opera Digest. Oh, I used to read Soap Opera Digest. Oh, yeah, sure. It's Can you believe it's still in circulation, even though there are only four soap operas in the air? That thing is still going. So I, uh, I, I did what I did there. I, I actually used a lot of my Inquirer skills to get really interesting stories out of these soap stars. Within a couple of years, uh, I was doing freelance work for Entertainment Weekly, the Los Angeles Times, and then that led to USA Today. So do you know Alan Locker? I he, don't think he, I do. He was a publicist on um, uh, the CBS soaps. And mm-hmm. he is now doing, he, he was on the podcast, he's oh. now doing a YouTube channel where he interviews all the celebs from the soap operas like from past and you know the ones that are still on but it's amazing he just had what was the couple from days of our lives years ago that were oh, doug, hope or uh, no doug and um oh doug and julie yeah he just had them Susan on like, Fourth hayes and bill hayes yes. i don't know who you're talking about he he um really made a name for himself during the pandemic yes um, he yes. ended up getting a lot of uh stars from old shows together again for reunions Yes, for, uh, he's, for doing he's, yeah. do, he's still doing it, doing a great job. I mean, I get excited, but sometimes he like the groups of people he puts together, you like forget these people. And then you're just like immediately transported back to that time in your life. Well, I'll have to check his stuff out because I, uh, reunions are my big thing. And recently I, I became a TV producer over at Discovery Channel and I was there for um, seven years and one of my big thing was um, doing big, splashy two-hour reunions of some of the shows that we grew up on. So I love that stuff. Wait, are, okay, so wait, we jumped ahead. So you did Entertainment Weekly. You were doing... Yeah, I was a freelancer for Entertainment Weekly, Us Weekly People. And then um, I ended up getting a staff position at USA Today as their West Coast reporter. So covering the Oscars, the Emmys, doing all the red carpets and charity shows. And then from there, I went over to TV Guide as their columnist and a senior editor for uh, six years. And then, then after that, uh, ended, you know, all the magazines um, are laying, laying off. I mean, just recently we saw Entertainment Weekly fold. So I saw the writing on the wall and I'm like, I've got to reinvent myself or I'm just going to be going from one job to the next and seeing my salary cut. So that's when I decided to go to TV and uh, work in production. How long were you at USA Today? Five years on staff. Okay. So wait, let's just talk a little bit about our story. Our Victoria Victoria story. Yeah. So the year is 2007. I'm working on her beauty line. Uh, I was a little, I mean, you know, you don't often in PR, you, you work with spokespeople, but your client's generally not a celebrity. Now, granted, she was a celebrity to those of us who remembered Dallas Brianna, the biggest celebrity in the world. In 1982, when I was 10. So, yes, 
I remembered her, but the calls were always very interesting. I know she had a beautiful house in Malibu. I really tried to get an invite there, never did get it, but oh, it's, probably, so sorry. it's probably better that I didn't. But she probably would have had you folding the sheets had you gone there. Because that is one of the things I mentioned is that one of my, actually one of my exes, his mother, who was my housekeeper for a while, she ended up interviewing over there and uh, she failed the sheet folding test. <laughs> I think you're lucky you didn't end up in uh, Castle Von Principal. Yes. Well, but there was also this really strange time that I, over the weekend, like had some anxious moments about death. It was random. I have no idea why. What do you mean? I just, I had like these panic attacks, just the thought of death. It, oh. I can't explain it. Okay. Okay. But I went to work. I'm on a call with Victoria and she says, something was on, on your mind this weekend. Like, you know, I, I can tell. And Ooh. she legit said exactly what it was. And I Ooh. was like, wait, how do you know this? And she's like, I just, I have a sense about these things. That's when she told me she was clairvoyant, clairvoyant. or whatever. She told me to get this Buddhism book that it would make me feel better. It was and I was like, wow, this is insane. I mean, she legit brought it out of nowhere. I never said anything. And and so I kind of started buying into like the fan club. I was like, well, this is crazy. This lady might like actually have something going on here. And then. Wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. Is there another, is there a twist to this story? No. Then the interview with you (laughs) went left of center and I was made to tell you she wasn't your friend anymore or whatever that bizarre thing was. And yeah. Well, yeah, I should just quickly define why we were friends. Um, So, you know, what happened when I went to Harry Glassman's office for that nose job, um, I uh, was asked to fill out paperwork as every patient would. And I wrote on the paperwork, uh, William Keck, Occupation, National Enquirer reporter. But Harry didn't read the the, uh, paperwork until the morning before our surgery. The next day was going to be the surgery. And he was not happy because the Enquirer had reported every little dirty secret in Harry and Victoria's uh, marriage throughout the years. So he called me in and he said, do you know what your paper has done to my life? And I was sure he was going to cancel the surgery. Uh, he had me sign some. <laughs> or give you a really bad nose job. That was the deal. Am I going to get a really bad nose or because he's scared of the Enquirer? Am I going to get the best nose that anyone's ever received? He did a great job, I will say. And through that, I did start start to get to know Victoria. And then uh, it was a big reunion at the South Fork Ranch, a Dallas reunion. I interviewed her there and um, I would see her at events here and there. And so we had a, a cordial relationship. Yeah. So then, uh, then you call me and, uh, and you say that Victoria wants to do a, a story um, on principal secret. And there really wasn't much of a story. It seemed like an ad. And that's what my editor said, you know, uh, just tell her no. If she wants to, to do a story on her principal secret makeup line, refer to our ad sales department. And so I did. And, and, and that's when uh, Alan Nirob, um, I guess, got involved. And you should explain who Alan Nirob was. Well, so he was her main publicist. Correct. He, he had been with her for years. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think they were family friends or something. They went way back, way, way back. Yeah. Um, and so he also worked at the same agency 
but he was her personal, whereas we were working on her brand. Sure. So, yes. Exactly. He carried way more weight than I did. <laughs> so <laughs> if you get a call from him, you take it. Definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, Alan also, you know, handles Mel Gibson. So I mean, some, you know, big, big heavy hitters. And so um, he came back to me and said, you know, Will, you know, how can we make this work? And I had said, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, if Victoria will kind of open up a little bit about her split from Harry, they, they had just announced their divorce, then, uh, you know, maybe we can do something. Because I was actually a celebrity reporter. I was not a movie reporter, a TV reporter. I was a celebrity. So I really had to kind of get into their personal lives. And he said, you know what, she'll talk about it a little. And, and I was amazed. And I convinced my editor then to go ahead and do the piece. And when we sat down to, to lunch um, in Beverly Hills, after a little which is, wait, which is so funny because it was at Beverly Wilshire at the cut, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you saw the Hiltons, Kathy and her, uh, what's his name? Rick. Yeah. Paris Hilton's parents were also having lunch there. The only time I've been to the cut, I also saw them there. Are <laughs> so you like, kidding? No, I thought that was really funny. I was like, oh. Wow. Maybe you were there the same day I was there. Um, Were you actually listening at the other table? I, I, don't, think so. I don't think so. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I finally brought up. I said, you know, Alan said you talk a little bit about the the divorce, and she was mortified. She had not been prepared to talk about the divorce at all, and said she couldn't. She said that her lawyer would not allow her to. So I'm like, uh oh, how am I going to expense this $250 lunch at Cut, the place that she had picked out? And so she ended up talking a little, little bit about it. So. The, the article I wrote was really not very interesting. I mean, it was about makeup and it was kind of a little bit about, you know, having split and she's single. So this story is something we call evergreen, meaning it can hold and hold and hold. And when there's a slow news day, you know, we can pop it in, but no promises is, were made as to when. Which is also a nightmare word for publicists who are trying to get a story in, in, out there when you're like, exactly. it's evergreen, we'll let you know. And you're, that, that either means... It's never going to run or not when you need it to. And I had to keep on telling you it's going to run when I I didn't know if it was going to run, to be quite honest. I mean, it was looking less and less likely. And that's sort of where you and I started to, to get to know each other and where Victoria's fury began. Correct? Yes. Well, I mean, I think I was back in that was back when we used the phone a lot more. <laughs> I think I was calling you pretty regularly. Hey, Will, just checking in for your friends. <laughs> And yeah. after it was held for, for a few months, you had to tell me that Victoria was very upset and we were no longer friends. Yes, I had, I did put that in an email, I believe. And then you sent me an email back and it was not nice. But oh, you know, I, look, here's why I, because like you, I worked in magazine, I worked for In Touch, and I remember being on the red carpet and Claire Danes and it was when she broke up. Billy Crudup and they were doing the red carpet for the movie that they met on and in touch wanted me to ask them about like the and I was like they're not gonna answer this question and I do not want to ask this question it's mortifying and thankfully they refused to do press so I didn't have to do it so I could never have ever worked for the Empire. I just don't have it in me I, I could never do that 
but I also don't like to hurt people's feelings in general. So sending you that email, I remember typing it and being like, I just, I feel really bad about this. I feel horrible. He's a nice guy. He doesn't deserve this. And then your response was just oh, kind of God. curt. It was curt. You know, you, you know, you were kind of just like, whatever, you know. Was I respectful, I hope? I mean. Yeah, but first of all, I'm an emotional person. And I you. You just, I felt bad doing it. And your response just reiterated that it Aww. was shitty. And I felt bad. And I remember going to my boss and, and being in tears and just like, oh. I, I don't like being in this situation. This is not my fight. I didn't promise that she would talk about this. Somebody else did. That's correct. Yeah. You know, so it was just really frustrating. Well, but, for yeah. the record, you were always completely sweet and apologetic. So, um, I mean, all these years later, uh, if, if I made you cry, I'm, I'm that well, made, makes me want to cry. You, you did not make me. It was the situation. I was frustrated. Yeah. I, I was somehow, it was one of those things where suddenly it was my responsibility. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. why why this article wasn't running was on me. And let's. Well, I think that's what people don't realize is you know I mean these situations happen and, and nice people end up in very uncomfortable situations. The nice people who are making very little money, you know, trying to cover for people who are uh, filthy rich. And the article eventually did run in USA Today, and then you let me know. I don't remember what happened. I think I. Victoria said you're friends again. Oh, right. Yes. It was as easy as that. Yes. All, yeah, easy as that. All, so, was, all was rectified in her world. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, too, was never invited to the Malibu mansion. So we have that in common, Brianna. Well, and she was supposed to go to space, but she did not. She Yes. At that lunch at the steakhouse where we saw, where we saw the Hilton, she had told me that she had signed up for uh, Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic Cruise. I don't think it was called that at the time. And she was very excited to be going up there. Um, I think she had paid, oh my God, I don't know, 250000 or something crazy. And it was held and it was held and it was held. And then she actually ended up dropping out. Yeah. I hope she got her money back. Although she's not hurting for any money. No, bravo to her. I mean, I write in the book how, how obsessed I was that she never came back to Dallas. But she had a great career. I mean, she really became her own Carrington Ewing personality. I mean, she she really turned that makeup line into a multi-million dollar corporation. And, you know, I, I got to say that I, I loved her face cream. And I think I probably still have some of it in, in, in a box somewhere in my basement. That's so funny. Oh, my God. All right. Well, so moving on from her, then how many years were you at? Wait. So once you left USA Today, you went to TV Guide. Yes. Right. And then you went to Hallmark, right? And you were on, weren't you on air at Hallmark? No, no, no. I was, I was, I was producer there. I mean, you know, it was a two hour daily lifestyle show. So, and with a very small budget. So a lot of times they would have the producers come on to be models or to, you know, do little things and games and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, a couple of times I was in a fashion show, like, uh, you know, jeans that fit all body types. <laughs> Don't you love being the representative representative of all body types? Really embarrassing. Yeah, really, really embarrassing. So it was, I think it was actually jeans for the gentleman who has no behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who were the hosts? Debbie, was Debbie Matinopoulos the host of that? Yeah, well, when I joined the show, our hosts were uh, Christina Ferrari. 
huge international model in the 80s and married to John DeLorean and Mark Steinis, who was a host for Entertainment Tonight for many years. And then there was a reshuffling and Debbie Montanopoulos from The View ended up becoming our host. And then Cameron Matheson, a soap actor from All My Children, um, became our, our host after Mark left. I rode an elevator with Cameron once. It was an enjoy- ah, it was an enjoyable ride. <laughs> He's the nicest, not- I have nothing, nothing but wonderful things to say about that man. He is an angel. He really very is very handsome. Very. Oh, handsome. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> he actually reminded me a lot of Josh Dumel. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see right? that for sure. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Okay, so and tell me about where you are now. Yeah, the, the Hallmark had told us that Hellman family would never be canceled. It was making so much money in ad sales and you know, different tie-ins that we would be on forever. And then COVID hit and we were preempted and we were on hiatus and they, we had, they had us back and uh, ultimately we didn't make it. So the show ended and um, I was lucky enough to go over to Discovery Channel to work on a, a talk show they have going on there, which is about to go into its third season called Josh Gates Tonight. Yeah, so I'm the senior, what am I, uh, the senior talent producer. So all the celebrities that come on the show, I, I interview them. And uh, so far, you know, I, I haven't really angered any of them enough to warrant a place in the book. But um, yeah, I'm getting close, though. I, I'm, my goal is this season to, to get at least one or two that can that can be included in the book. How has your career in this industry changed your perspective of celebrity? Hmm. Wow. Well, you know, um, just the, the idea of what a celebrity is has, has changed so much. And to be quite honest, if I were doing now what I was doing at USA Today, I don't think I would be very good at this job because my interest is talking to movie stars and, and TV stars. And while that's still part of entertainment, so much of entertainment news is talking to people who are YouTube stars and people who have huge social media followings, influencers. And that really does not interest me at all. So I really just sort of miss the Hollywood of, of the, the olden age. And, you know, the golden age being the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 80s, and even up to the 90s and 2000s. But it's, it's changed so much. Pre-Kardashian um, is what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, right. The Kardashian I mean, honestly, era. I had a People Magazine subscription from 1990-ish until probably five years ago or so. Yeah. I, I just, it was all reality stars and I just was not, I'm not interested. I don't care about it. I don't, I just, I don't, it's, I feel the same way. Yeah. I, yeah. It's all about movie and TV stars. But yeah, and you know, I mean, not to bash people, they're 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 doing a great job. They're they're still selling well, and I think they'll be around forever. But um, yeah, you know, I, I go on to people.com, and it seems like most of the stories are either about you know Kardashians or Real Housewives people, and that's because these people are accessible. Um, a lot of times, the, the the reporters are friends with these people, so they can get constant updates. And they can get updates for stories just by looking at their posts on social media. But the other stories that I see a lot uh, that are qualifying as entertainment are disaster stories, you know, the most horrific tragedies that, uh, you know, I, I actually were the root of the Inquirer. That's how the Inquirer started, reporting on these ghastly things that you would never want to hear about. So it's interesting how, you know, the Inquirer evolved out of that, but then all of entertainment has sort of devolved back into that. 
So I'm glad that I was there when I was, and I'm glad to be doing something else now. Of all of your experiences, yeah. what is your worst celebrity experience? <laughs> there are so many to choose from. I guess I'll, I'll talk about how um, when I was at the Inquirer, surprise, surprise, we had a report that a, a sitcom star was having an affair with the uh, wife uh, of another actor, and they sent me to the sitcom star's home to ask him about this. And he was not very happy about that and ended up beating me uh, to a bloody pulp. And I ended up going to the hospital. And then there was a little bit of a lawsuit. And there was a little bit of a, a contract sign, meaning that I can't reveal this person's name. Oh, my God. Yeah. That yeah. is horrible. Yeah. Um, who the fuck it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say that, you know, it's, it's the final chapter in, in the book. And I drop a few clues so that I think people may be able to have a guess or two as to who it could be. Okay. Two questions. Are they still yeah. married? Are they still married? Oh, no, 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 no one in that scenario is married. You know, uh, uh, the actor, the, the actor who was the movie star is dead. And the TV actor has gotten into a lot of trouble himself over the years and really is, has kind of been blacklisted from the business. And I think he has found some some new wife, but we don't hear from him that much anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was the second question? Now I don't remember. I'm so <laughs> is the woman still on television? The woman is married to an actor who is currently on television on the CW. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. This is like Wordle for celebs. I'm like, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm and that's a good out. idea. Maybe okay. we should try to get that going. That could be in your game show. Right. Wait, are the, are, are the photographs behind you of TV casts? that are hanging on your wall. Well, you know, it, I didn't mention it because this is a, an audio podcast, but you know, for people who might still be listening, we are zooming with each other. So, you know, I really wanted to mention when you said you were a Knott's Landing fan, the photo right over my left shoulder is me with the entire cast of Knott's Landing. Oh my God, I see Val. The, the photo right behind me is me with the entire cast of, of Dynasty. Um, Oh my God. So, and and is that Charles and Diana? What's that? A picture of Charles and Diana. You yeah. know, I'm working on something now that, and I, I have little pieces throughout the house to give me inspiration. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I pulled that out of storage because I'm working on something that involves Diana. Oh my God. That is so <laughs> funny. So do you still find uh, escapism though in like TV and movies and celebrity? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, um, I think you know, you and I were, were talking about how we we loved television, you know, back in the '80s, and TV back then was so fun. The Love Boats, you know, and Charlie's Angels, and I mean, it was all just so innocent. And even the the reruns that we would catch, like I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched, after we got home from school. So I'm having you know a harder time finding this kind of escapist show. But when I do, I just go full in and. Kind of my new obsession is Emily in Paris, which is just a great escape from. So cheesy, I love Emily in Paris. But you know, Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso as well. Love, love, love Schitt's Creek. I can't wait. You know, the new season of uh, Mrs. Maisel 
you know, is on now. So very excited that that's back. You know, you're like the 18th person to tell me about Ted Lasso, that it's a really feel good show. So that is now going to be at the top of my list. Yes, because there is a lot of good television. It's just, it's very violent. I mean, I, I like Ozark, but man, it stresses yeah. me out. We're watching Yellowstone. This show stresses me out. <laughs> Succession yeah. stresses me out. So I need some balance because to your point, we did grow up with the love boat. I mean, Fantasy Island, there could be some shady shit going on on those. <laughs> right. For the most part, it got all cleaned up at the end and nobody pretty much didn't usually die. A happy little ribbon, you know, was always tied on those Aaron Spelling shows. And, you know, when the when the quarantine hit and um, people were watching Ozark and, you know, they're watching Breaking Bad and, you know, all these incredibly scary true crime docuseries, I got out my DVDs of The Love Boat and I escaped with Captain Steuben and Charo to Mazatlan and Cabo San Lucas. And uh, it's nice knowing that's always there when I need a little pick-me-up. Well, it's so funny because my wedding song that I danced with my dad to is the song that Captain Stooping <laughs> danced with his daughter to. With and Little Vicky? Yeah, Jillian? it was uh, Through the Years by Kenny Rogers because oh, I saw, I an that I saw a rerun and I it was that one. And I was like, that's such a great choice of song. I'm a big Kenny Rogers fan. So it's that's a beautiful it. song through the years. Yeah, Come on. How, how does it go, yeah, I, I danced to it. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, new, no, new. No. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Will. We should really just do a podcast about entertainment. I tell oh my you, gosh. I, in a heartbeat, so I would do that. fun talking about this stuff. We've known uh, each other for years, but we haven't really, you know, face-to-face connected until this particular moment. So I, I would love to, to play with you in this world. And right? there's so many more juicy stories to tell that I want to hear from you and that I want to tell you. Yeah, well, and look, see, Victoria brought us together. She's not all bad. There's some... You know what? You know what? I, I think our first guest on Will and Brianna's spinoff podcast <laughs> should be the lovely and talented Miss Victoria principal. Right. And I still principal secret products as much as she wants to. Right. Right. I mean, look, Andy Gibb dated her and that guy, oh, love me some Andy Gibb. He oh, my, my, yes. My, my favorite Gibb, you know, but Barry close runner up, but Andy, oh, Oh, yeah. So sad. So sad. All right. Well, I always do a game with my guests. Oh, great. So this game is called (laughs) 1982, 40th anniversary of the most famous woman in the world. Ah! All right. So, Will, can you tell me what was the number one song of 1982? Oh, my God. Gosh, I mean, I'm just going to have to guess. That was a little bit before my one hit. It's a one hit wonder. It's a one-hit wonder. Okay, I mean, I'm just going to kind of go out on a limb and go, um, what was that song? I Come From the Land Down Under. No, they were not one-hit wonders. No, they weren't? No, they had more. This song name also has kind of dirty implications. (laughs) People... Dirty Diana was later. Um, oh, 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 not the one that is it about masturbating? No, come on, Eileen. <laughs> right, you know, uh, <laughs> Bebop, Shebop, Weebop. Yeah, Bebop, yeah. Shebop. There was that one, but there was also the one, um, you know, uh, touch myself. That's huh? from I touch myself from like, yeah, well, no, there was another one about, um, I'm turning Jeff. Incredibly racist. Stroke me. Okay, well, it was come on, Eileen. Come on, Eileen. I love that song. One of my favorites. Okay, ah. so 
This one should not be hard. What was the number one movie of 1982? E.T. Yes. All right. So what album did Michael Jackson release in 1982? Oh, man. Well, Thriller would have been later. No, it was was Thriller. Thriller Was Was it really in 82? Was it? At the end of 82. All right. The first episode of this late night talk show aired in 1982. Was it late night with David Letterman? Yes. Well, hey! well done. Well done. And your final question. I Uh-oh. did Google around to see if I could find any evidence of the most famous woman in the world in 1982, and it did not exist on the internet. <laughs> but I found the highest grossing star. Do you know who the highest grossing star in 1982 was? And you can, you can assume that it was a man because let's, you know, misogyny. And okay. I have to. It always comes out in one of my in, in a show that I have to talk about the page. I would go with Burt Reynolds. Nope. Good, this, good guess though. This celebrity started on Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. Well, then it would have to be. Uh, and he's hateful. I, Chevy Chase. Yes. Yes. Hateful did it. Yes. yes. Boy, he seems like a real monster, doesn't he? That guy. Oh yeah, he just did an interview where they brought up. That I think Pete Davidson. Yeah, I just read that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we read the same stuff. So no surprise there. We do. Yeah. And yeah, Dan Harmon, uh, who created Community, he was sort of a, he was involved with the last show that I worked on. So yeah, no, I like, let's not have Chevy Chase on our show. How about that? Yeah, no Chevy Chase. No Chevy Chase. <laughs> okay. Well, do you have any social media handles you want to share or a website or anything to leave the audience with before we go? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think that, uh, you know, if if people want to find more about my book, I have a Facebook page, TV Family Album. And that's kind of now um, all about this book, Horribly Wrong. And then, yeah, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm late to the game, but I I have fun there posting little celebrity things. Um, And that's the William Keck as opposed to all the other William Kecks that are better there out are a lot. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. I always try to Google around before my show to get to know my guests more. And there are a lot of William Kecks. There so. is. There's a big oil family, the William Keck Foundation, and they, they sponsor museum wings and hospital wings. And I will say that that came in handy during my inquirer days. If I had to sneak into the Elizabeth Taylor uh, you know, uh, ER, and I can say, yes, you know, my family donated the William Keck wing here where Miss Taylor is recuperating. Never worked, but it was a good time. I was going to say, did that really work? <laughs> wow. I'm good still try. blown away that you got all the way into Nicole Brown's family. I, I, oh, wow. Well, wow. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much. So much fun. Um, this is the Jobs Below podcast. We're at jobsbelowpodcast.com on social media at Jobs Blow Podcast. I'm Brianna Haas, and thank you so much for joining the show. 